0: Good evening, and welcome to our Thursday evening broadcast. This week, we are looking at select scriptures and determining if what we are reading simply captures what happened, or is it documenting what God designed to happen? In other words, is the text descriptive or prescriptive? Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you, Lord for this opportunity to gather together in your name. We thank you for your goodness toward us, Lord. Hallelujah. God, we ask that you would be in our midst, that you would open our hearts and our minds to your word, that you would give us understanding, Lord Jesus. We thank you, Lord, for your goodness toward us, Jesus. Thank you, Lord, for the revelation of your word this night. Thank you, Jesus. Be in our midst, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. This evening... I'm taking on a topic that has caused a rift between husband and wives for centuries. And the question I'm going to ask to kind of guide my thoughts tonight is this simple question. Are husbands to rule over their wives? Now you may see, oh yeah, absolutely. And some of us women might be saying, hmm, I don't know about that. Well, let's go see what the scripture has to say on that topic. We begin our study tonight. After the man and woman have sinned, and God is dishing out curses and telling the man and woman how their new broken nature will affect the world around them and their relationships. Now, notice the distinction in what I said. God is dishing out curses, right? He's saying he, he's 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 clearly cursing some things here uh, in this text, and he's also dishing out some consequences. Maybe I'll put them that way. And there's even a distinction between curses and consequences. And he's also, in the same conversation, explaining to them the things that will happen now because of their new broken nature. There are three distinctions to look out for. Let's go to Genesis 3, and I'm going to start with verse 14. Then the Lord God said to the serpent, Because you have done this, you are cursed more than all animals, domestic and wild. You will crawl on your belly groveling in the dust as long as you live. And I will cause hostility between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He will strike your head and you will strike his heel. Now God turns to the woman and he says, and I will sharpen the pain of your pregnancy and in pain you will give birth and you will desire to control your husband, but he will rule over you. And to the man, he said, And since you listened to your wife and ate from the tree, whose fruit I commanded you not to eat, the ground is cursed because of you. All your life, you will struggle to scratch a living from it. It will grow thorns and thistles for you, though you will eat of its grains. By the sweat of your brow, you will have food to eat until you return to the ground from which you were made. For you were made from dust and to dust you will return. Now, unfortunately, the latter part of Genesis 3.16, which is what I'm going to try to narrowly focus on, there was a lot in that, in that text there. The latter part of Genesis 3.16 has been used to justify the dominating of wives by their husbands. And I'm using that word dominating on, per- on purpose. If you look throughout history, not even not just in American culture, but throughout the world, there's been this constant battle You know, we even have that phrase we use, battle of the sexes, Uh, not only between just men and women in general, but in particular, husbands and wives. The latter part of Genesis 3.16, I'll read it from the message version, which gives it a little bit differently. says, you will want to please your husband, but he will lord it over you. So I submit to you today that the interpretation of that scripture, meaning that God ordained for men to dominate their wives is grossly incorrect. To say that God punished a woman by allowing her husband to dominate, oppress, and treat her as an inferior is in actuality contrary to God's word. Let's look at some other scripture to get a better understanding. In this study, you're going to get a two for one. So not only are we going to look at this from the descriptive, prescriptive perspective, But we're also going to take a little lesson on how scriptures interpret scriptures. All right. So I'm going to jump over to Jeremiah 31. I'm going to read you a few verses, uh, 31 through 33. And it says, the day is coming, says the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the people of Israel and Judah. This covenant will not be like the one I made with their ancestors when I took them by the hand and brought them out of the land of Egypt. They broke that covenant, though I love them as a husband loves his wife, says the Lord. But this is the new covenant I will make with the people of Israel after those days, says the Lord. I will put my instructions deep within them and I will write them on their hearts. I will be their God and they, will be my, and they will be my people. So here God uses his relationship with his covenant people, Israel, as a parallel to the husband and wife relationship. He uses this phrase, though, I love them as a husband loves his wife. Israel was unfaithful to God, even though God treated them with love. Now, how does God define love? That's a whole nother lesson uh, in the things that we call love that God doesn't call love, but here God used his example of his good treatment of Israel and that they disregard it. Okay. So in this case, God is the husband and he treated Israel with love. How does God divine love? Well, let's take a quick look. First Corinthians uh, 13, three says, love is patient and kind. Love is not jealous or boastful or proud or rude. It does not demand its own way. It is not irritable and it keeps no record of being wrong." And that's just one example of how God defines love, but that's loaded. Okay, so if men are to dominate their wives, if God said that's the way it's supposed to be, and he's using himself as the analogy of the man in this relationship between him, is that how God treated Israel? Absolutely not. He treated them the way he, he his, his uh, definition of love. He treated them with kindness and patience and, 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 and uh, he, he was, he was long suffering toward them. So God is the epitome of the example of love, and he demands that husbands treat their wives in that way. Let's look at another scripture in 1 Corinthians 7. It says, now regarding the questions you asked in your letter, yes, it is good to abstain from sexual relations, but because there is so much sexual immorality, each man should have his own wife and each woman should have her own husband. The husband should, should fulfill his wife's sexual needs and the wife should fulfill her husband's needs. The wife gives authority over her body to her husband and the husband gives authority of his body to his wife. Do not deprive each other of sexual relations unless you both agree to refrain from sexual intimacy for a limited time so that you can give yourselves more completely to prayer. Now drop down to verse 10. But for those who are married, I have a command that comes, I'm sorry, I have a command that comes not from me, but from the Lord. A wife must not leave her husband, but if she does leave him, let her remain single or else be reconciled to him. And the husband must not leave his wife. Now, I want you to note in that text that I just read you, the careful attention to equality. Everything that applied to To the woman, applied to the man. Now, culturally, we have a real select thing about what we want to, you know, ascribe to the man versus the woman. But here, Paul was very careful in making, uh, drawing the the correlation that these two are equal. What applies to the man applies to the woman. It's not even a hint of that ruling over business. Now, let's go over to Ephesians chapter five. I'm going to read this to you from the message version. Starting with verse 21, it reads, Out of respect for Christ, be courteously reverent to one another. Wives, understand and support your husbands in ways that show your support for Christ. The husband provides leadership to his wife the way Christ does to his church. Not domineering, but cherishing. So just as the church submits to Christ as he exercises such leadership, wives should likewise submit to their husbands. Husbands, go all out in your love for your wives, exactly as Christ did for the church. A love marked by giving and not getting. Christ's love makes the church whole. His words evoke her beauty. Everything he does and says is designed to bring the best out of her, dressing her in dazzling white silk, radiant with holiness. And that is how husbands ought to love their wives. They're really doing themselves a favor since they're already one in marriage. No one abuses his own body, does he? No, he feeds and pampers it. That's how Christ treats us, the church, since we are part of his body. And this is why a man leaves his father and mother and cherishes his wife. No longer two, they become one flesh. This is a huge mystery, and I don't pretend to understand it all what is clearest to me is the way Christ treats the church. And this provides a good picture of how each husband is to treat his wife, loving himself and loving her, and how each wife is to honor her husband. Mm -mm -mm. I think that goes without explanation. I have a few more scriptures I want to share with you. This next scripture I'm going to read to you is from 1 Peter 3. But before I read it, I'm going to read to you Uh, the end of first Peter two, so that you have some context. I'm I'm still reading from the message and it says, they called him, the hymns was Jesus, every name in the book. And he said nothing back. He suffered in silence, content to let God set things right. He used his servant body to carry out, uh, to carry our sins to the cross so that we would be rid of sin, free to live the right way. His wounds became our healing. You were lost sheep with no idea who you were or where you were going. Now you are named and kept for good by the shepherd of your souls. So here God is talking about the suffering that he allowed so that he could, that he, that we could come to him. He's going to use this same sentiment and he's going to apply it in, in first Peter three to the husband and wife relationship. Starting with verse one, it reads the same goes for you wives Be good wives to your husbands, responsive to their needs. There are husbands who, indifferent as they are to any word about God, will be captivated by your life of holy beauty. What matters is not your outer appearance, the styling of your hair, the jewelry you wear, the cut of your clothes, but your inner disposition. Cultivate inner beauty, the gentle, gracious kind that God delights in. The holy women of old were beautiful before God that way and were good, loyal wives to their husbands. Sarah, for instance, taking care of Abraham, would address him as, my dear husband. You'll be true daughters of Sarah if you do the same, unanxious and unintimidated. The same goes for you husbands. Be good husbands to your wives. Honor them, delight in them. As women, they lack some of your advantages, but in the new life of God's grace, you're equals. Treat your wives then as equals so your prayers do not run aground. Now here is another example of a description mixed in with a prescription. As women, they lack some of your advantages. God knew that women weren't weren't being treated the way that they were supposed to be. And in that next sentence, he goes, but you, you treat them as equals. That's what I'm prescribing. Verse eight says, summing it up, be agreeable, be sympathetic, be loving, be compassionate, Be humble. That goes for all of you. No exceptions. No retaliation. No sharp-tongued sarcasm. Instead, bless. That's your job, to bless. You'll be a blessing, and you'll also get a blessing. Mm, That's a good word tonight. So, nowhere in Scripture, I just gave you a few here, nowhere in Scripture does it say that it's okay for women to be abused or to be oppressed. In fact, nowhere in scripture does it say that anybody, uh, that it's okay for anybody to be abused or oppressed. You bring me some scripture that tells me that that, that, that's what God ordained for humanity. In fact, he speaks against those very things. God is on the side of the oppressed. He's the one that's coming against those that do the oppressing. Uh, In fact, I mean, God even goes so far as to speak to slaves. Slaves are the lowest of the low on the totem pole. And he even says to their masters, treat them right. God even speaks to the treatment of children. In fact, he says, if you treat a child wrong, right? You, if you lead a child astray, you might as well tie a millstone about your neck and take care of yourself, right? He also talks to, to fathers, right? Don't provoke your children to wrath. I'm, I'm, I'm saying that to say that God is um, God doesn't play abusing people, any people whatsoever. Not children, not slaves. He don't care what social status you are, what you know, where you are in the in the family structure. God does not play abuse. Period. He just doesn't. So why then? Why then do we think it's okay for husbands to mit- treat, mistreat their uh, wives? And I know he said, well, well, not exactly mistreat. Yeah, it it it's very subtle. We wouldn't call it that. Let me put it that. In some relation, we wouldn't call it that. But it's clear that even in our American cultures, women are put down. Even when we say we have these traditional family values, there's, there's this thing. You know, Man's here and woman's just a little bit lower. Right? We have a problem with that. And that is not the way that God ordained that. There's the, we read earlier where, um, where the scripture said that husband was supposed to lead the family. Even if we take that perspective, how is that leading supposed to look? I'm going to give you one more example. And that's in that very scripture, it says, as Christ leads the church. But let me give you one more and I'm going to get off here because I can go on this topic for quite a while. Trust me. Matthew 20 says, but Jesus called them together and said, you know, that the rulers of this world lorded over their people and the officials flaunt their authority over those under them. But among you, it will be different. However, I'm sorry, whoever wants to be a leader among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first among you must become our, your slave. For even the son of man came not to be served, but to serve others and to give his life for a ransom. So even if you hold a position as a man that you are to leave your family, you are to do so as a servant. How do you serve your wife? I want to keep it narrow to the topic here. I want to keep this thing about husbands and wives. How do you honor your wife? How do you cherish her? How do you respect her? How do you treat her as your equal? Because that is what God prescribed. Jesus, we thank you for this opportunity to dip to dive into your word tonight. God help us, oh God, to walk according to your word. Even if we have to live counterculture, uh, We have to live according to your word. God, I ask that you bless every husband and wife uh, who is listening to this call that that are struggling with this very topic, that you would help us to honor each other, to treat each other as you would have us to do so, Lord. God, bless us, Lord, as we leave this broadcast tonight and help us, oh God, to be better discerners of your word. Give us wisdom and understanding, oh God, that we can live according to your word. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you. And you guys have a great night.